So I decided to call my message this. No, not that. <laughs> Don't be a fan. Don't be a fan. In other words, Jesus wants us to be more than fans of his. He wants us to be followers. And you know, as we shared before, we're moving up to Tahunanui soon with the church. And I, I don't know if you've um, thought about this at all or not, but we're not actually just relocating our Sunday service. So, yeah, just sit with that, but God is not asking us to move church from here to having church out there on a Sunday. It's a whole lot more than that. He's calling us to be a witness and to live our lives as a witness in the community. Now, you might think, witnessing's not my thing. I kind of used to think that, until I had the realisation that witness isn't actually, witnessing isn't actually something we specifically go out and do. Witnessing is who we are. So, whether you think you've got a gift of witnessing or not, you are actually witnessing in the community. So, wherever you live your life, wherever you go, you are a witness. Yeah. And Jesus calls each of us in the Great Commission. Now, I don't know what it says in your Bible, but when I look at it in my Bible, it's never called the Great Suggestion. Um, it was the last thing he said on earth to his disciples before he zapped up into heaven. He said to go and make disciples of all nations. So let's just pray this morning. Father God, open our hearts to your word, to your truth. May we understand what you are calling us to, in Jesus' name. So I want to open today, um, give some context to what I want to share with the scripture so it's coming up on the screen there you can look it up on your phone and your bible whatever but it's from luke chapter 5 one day as jesus was standing by the lake of gennesaret the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of god he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets he got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So they're basically his business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they, pull, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything 
and followed him. I thought that was quite interesting when you, sometimes we can be so familiar with stories we don't really um, process the full truth of what's in, in them. But if you think about it, it doesn't really make logical sense. He'd been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything, and Jesus goes, oh, throw out your nets on the other side of the boat. And it's like, hmm. But I loved his response where he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my nets. A few verses later, after that, we see God's word was fulfilled. Jesus said it, Peter acted on it, and it happened. And then in verse 8, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, I want to, just in setting this up this morning, I want to contrast that a little bit with the story of Judas. Now, we probably all know about Judas from the Bible. He's the one who um, was one of Jesus' disciples, ate with him, slept with him, saw all the miracles that Jesus did, and yet he decided to betray Jesus for some money. Oftentimes as followers, we can be devoted to the cause of Christ, but like Judas, we can try to leverage or use Jesus to get what we want. So like, they could even be good things like miracles, signs, provision. But it was Judas's thinking. It's like, hang on, I could make some money out of this. Whereas Peter was the opposite reaction. He didn't leverage Jesus or use Jesus. He actually gave of himself. Like it says, immediately he laid down his nets and followed Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems crazy to me. It's kind of like, it just says they left their boats there and walked off. So that's pretty much just abandoning your family business. Probably not the smartest move, not really that logical. Um, and as we saw, they'd already been fishing all night, so not caught anything. And Jesus, like, really logically goes, oh, just try the other side of the boat. And like, hmm, doesn't make sense. Who knows, often when God says to us or challenges us to do things, he might often probably more times than not, not make sense, not be logical, because he's wanting us to step out in faith. So here, you might, today you might be a business person, you might work in finance, real estate, you might work as a nurse, a teacher, but whatever you do, over time you become an expert in your area. Then what happens in your mind when someone comes along and says, do it differently? And you're like, hang on. Uh, I know how this works, I know how life works, I've got this sorted, I've been making money in this area for, for this long and doing this. And then what if Jesus comes to you and says, I want you to leave all of that, 
leave what you know, because this was Peter's experience. And he asked him to lay it all down. So it didn't really make logical sense. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Not to be a fan of Jesus, not to leverage Jesus, shall we say, for what you can get, but to be a follower. So as a follower, we aren't looking for reason. We're looking to follow. So when God says, do this, we go, okay. And God says to do this, it's like, oh, it doesn't make sense, but okay. <laughs> so it can be a struggle sometimes against the logical and the rational things, and it may not make sense. But I don't know, if you reflect on your life, I know it's true for my life and Ruth and I together, that when we reflect back and look at times that God has moved in our lives, that God has directed, that he has done the miraculous, it all kind of makes sense afterwards. But at the time when we're over here and God says, I want you to move here or I want you to do this, it's like, was that you, God, or was that like, really? It doesn't make sense. I mean, just a a quick example was when we moved to Nelson. We um, came here and nothing really was set up for us here. Ruth didn't have a job. She had applied to work on the casual pool at the hospital because she couldn't get a permanent job. And we didn't have anywhere to live. It's like, "Mm, maybe we could stay at the campground for a while. But it ended up, um, Ruth applied for a job the day before we actually went to a pre-planned family holiday over in Australia. And had a job interview over the phone while she was in Australia and got an email within an hour that offered her a permanent position. So it's like, okay, that's pretty cool. And when we were coming up here, we were questioning God, going, okay, where are we going to live? We're moving to Nelson, but we weren't blessed like Honeyana and Maria. We didn't have a house bus to live in. We could have probably lived in our car for a bit. <laughs> but um, then one of our friends in Christchurch, she's actually originally from Nelson, and her family comes from South Africa. And anyway, her grandmother was going back to South Africa for a holiday for a few months. And she offered us her house rent-free with no costs or anything for the first two months of moving here. And that's all very well to say on this side of things, because we went like, okay, see God do all of that. But over here, when he said move to Nelson, they're like, really? Life's quite comfortable here in Christchurch. But um, yeah, God will provide for us. So Peter called Jesus Master and Lord and left everything to follow him. I want to suggest this morning there's a big difference between knowing a teaching to living a lifestyle. Judas knew all about Jesus. I mean, he basically lived with him for a few years. So he knew all about Jesus. But obviously didn't have that real heart connection with Jesus to live as a follower. There's a big difference between knowing the teaching and living a lifestyle. 
as a follower, sure, it's important to know Scripture, but I'd like to suggest this morning it's actually more important to follow it. Like we can know it, but it doesn't really count a lot just for knowing it. If we go, oh, yep, I know that, I know that story. I've read my whole Bible three times. It's like if we're not actually living the truth of it, it's really a bit pointless. <laughs> so to become followers, we need to follow it. We need to follow the instructions that are in here. We need to lay down our lives and take a risk on Jesus. Here's a different take on Peter's story. What if it happened like this? Peter's boat began to sink, so he called his business partners to help. And then thought to himself as he saw all the fish coming into the boat, man, I could really leverage Jesus here to grow my business. Maybe when I start making so much money from all this fish, I can sow into Jesus' ministry. And he could really help me make a lot of money. But no, that wasn't Jesus' call on his life. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So he forsook everything and walked away from all he knew. And when I read that, it's sort of like often that phrase, walking away from all we know, you can think of that as our comfort zones. So all the things that we place our security in, all the things that we think we know. I mean, Peter had no idea what his life was going to look like from that day onwards. It's just like, I'm leaving everything that I know. I'm leaving the family business. I'm leaving the place that I grew up. I'm leaving my job, my way of making money. Just to follow Jesus. Pretty crazy, hey? And I love this saying, the difference between knowing Jesus is a master or knowing Jesus as a teacher, is in this one concept. You can have mind information, but never have heart transformation. And God isn't about wanting us to have mind information. Sure, it's good to know things, but he doesn't want us to have mind information, but never have heart transformation. So you can learn a lot of things. You can go to a lot of conferences, attend church every week, etc., etc., but never change your heart. And Jesus is after our hearts. He wants to be Lord and Master. The question I want to ask each of us this morning is what gods, there's gods with a little g, are our hearts submitted to or chasing after? For it says in Scripture, where your treasure is, there your heart lies also. So whatever we're spending our time on, whatever we're giving our hearts to, becomes a little God to us. For followers, Jesus is master. For fans, Jesus is more like a magic wand. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can find myself praying like this. Jesus, can you help me? Can you bless me in this? Can you give me direction in this? Can you help me fix this or that? Can you provide for this? And it's like, in doing that, you know, it's, we're basically just leveraging Jesus and living as a fan. For a follower of Jesus, then we start to live for him. 
For a fan of Jesus, we try to get our needs met. To a fan, Jesus just becomes one of many things that we chase after in life. For a follower of Jesus, he is the one thing that we chase after. He is the one thing. So followers think of Jesus as Lord. Fans think of Jesus as a rabbi or a teacher. I think it's one of the biggest dangers in the church today is fans who call themselves Christians. But they aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it actually requires anything from them or any major sacrifice. Now, I think Jesus has a lot of fans today, fans who sit safely in the stands cheering, you know, like you do if you go to a sports game, rugby game, whatever. Everyone's in the stands cheering. But unless you've actually played the game, you don't really know anything of the sacrifice, the pain, the training, getting just down and dirty in the game of playing on the field. Jesus doesn't want us just to sit in the stands or the pews. So the question for us to ask ourselves this morning is this, am I a fan or am I a follower? As I said earlier, my goal and heart this morning isn't to make any of us feel bad, but just to take a moment this morning and assess honestly where we're at and not just come along and play nice church to help us desire a life as followers who actually fish not just fans I brought my fishing rod along this morning just as a little prop there but by fishing what do we mean I mean winning souls for Jesus making disciples. You know what? Here as a leadership, we're actually radical enough to believe that every Christian should be a disciple maker. Every Christian should be making disciples. Sounds crazy, right? But if it was Jesus departing words to his followers when he left this planet, go and make disciples, that still stands for each of us today. I love what we shared last week. It actually just stuck in my heart. It's been going around and around and all week. That verse where it says, if you love me, you will do what I command. So it's out of that love relationship for Jesus that we just want to step out. We want to share his love with others who don't know him and see them set free. As I said before, a fan's focus is quite different in life. They will leverage Jesus to serve their own ambitions and fulfill their own plans. Jesus said to Peter after he called him, 
from now on you're going to fish for men. You're going to win men for Jesus, win women for Jesus, win households for Jesus. And I'm going to teach you all that you need to know. When I wrote that, I thought, it's kind of funny. It's almost like God says, it's a need-to-know basis. I'll teach you what you need to know. Sometimes we want to know a whole lot more, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> know what the future holds, know what God's going to call us to step into. Just uh, still feel like we're in control of it. But God wants us just to trust him. So God may not call you to leave a business, leave your home, leave your family. He might. Maybe he's calling you to forsake Coronation Street. Or an extra golf session. Or to forsake Xbox, Instagram or Facebook. Can somebody come and move this little folly? He's really distracting. <laughs> no, it's all good. Maybe he's calling us to forsake whatever is becoming Lord of our lives. I don't know if you realise this or not, but here in New Zealand, we actually have life pretty soft. I'm not saying that to discount any struggles that people are going through. But right around the world, I hear testimonies regularly that to follow Jesus means to be kicked out of your family. To follow Jesus means to lose your job. To follow Jesus means to have your house burnt down. So here when we go like, oh, maybe following Jesus I have to give up some of that stuff. Maybe I need to start talking to my neighbour. What are they going to think if I start sharing Jesus and the gospel with them? Or with that person in the supermarket who seems to be struggling? You know, I'd like to actually suggest this, that maybe people will be um, less concerned about what we say to them. If we think of it this way, if we don't share Jesus with them, what are they going to think of us one day at the end of their life? What are they going to think about what we didn't share with them, if that makes sense? So what is God calling you to forsake? What is dragging you away from his heart, from his love? So a lot of you might be going now, what does forsaking actually mean? So I looked it up because it's like, I'm a bit of a nerd. And even as a young kid, I used to like read the dictionary. Strange, eh? <laughs> but to forsake means this. To quit or leave entirely. To desert, to abandon, to depart or withdraw from. In other words that are used instead of forsake is abandon, renounce, discard, forego. So what is God calling you to abandon? What is God calling you to renounce? What is God calling you to discard? What is God calling you to forego? And say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice that so I can chase after God and what he has for me. So we need to abandon our agenda to follow his. We can't live with one foot either side of the fence. Now, I don't know if practically if you've ever tried that. 
standing with one foot either side of a fence. If it's barbed wire, it's really bad news. Could be quite painful. God doesn't want fence sitters or pew sitters. He wants your whole heart. But you know what? It's actually our choice. He's not going to force us to do it. It's our choice. So that's what I want you to think about this morning. Who is on the throne of your heart and what choice are you going to make? You know, God is calling all of us to fish, to go out to the nations. You might say, I'm not called to missions. That's fine. But we are all called to a mission, a co-mission with Christ. And you know, just before the band starts playing, I want to um, have a little look at the screen here and show you what not to expect from fishing. might seem a little crazy, eh? But generally that's not what happens when you go fishing, eh, Steve? (laughs) You don't just drive your boat out. Even if you've got the flashiest boat, you don't just drive it out into the ocean and suddenly the fish start swimming around and they go, whoo-wee, look at that boat, I'm going to jump in that one. That's the flashiest looking one. It's just not really how it happens, is it? And you know, it's the same for us in the church. There's no point us just making church look really nice and expecting the fish, those people who are unsaved, to just jump into the boat. It's not actually going to happen. And I just want to start finishing with this little challenge. You know, people who go fishing lots, when they come back from fishing, they stink. Isn't that right, Steve? (laughs) Now, if you've been cutting up bait, gutting fish, you get the smell of fish on you. You get the smell of fish on you. And you know, we need to prepare our hearts in this season, individually and as a church, to go to where the fish are at and not to declare in Jesus' name, come and jump into my boat but actually to go out and share his love with them. So the first principle of fishing is you have to go to where the fish are at. 
It's no good like trying to fish in your bathtub. You're not going to catch a lot. So it's time to stop fishing in church and actually go to where the fish are at. So as I said, we need to prepare for that and for what God wants to do both in and through us. So i just finish with this this morning, just to recap. Fans will leverage Jesus, but followers will forsake their ambitions to fulfill his. Don't lose your life by trying to hold on to it. it says in scripture, if we lose our life for the sake of the kingdom, we will find it. It's only that then that we find true life, that we find freedom, for he is the life giver. Like I said earlier, he alone can do beyond what we can ever think, ask, or imagine. So leverage your life for the lost. Leverage your life for what God wants to do in you, through you, and for you. So it's pretty simple, just in closing this morning, all this message really is today is to encourage you, to encourage us as a body to go out and make disciples, to fish for people. It's the question why. Pretty simple answer. Because God loves them. And he doesn't want them to spend eternity without him. Eternity is a long time. Let's just pray together. Father God, I thank you for the challenges that you give us in life. I thank you that you give us to them so that we can choose to step out in faith and follow you. Or we have the choice too just to be a fan and, and sit on a seat and watch what's going on but you call us to be followers to be disciples and to go and make disciples you call us to have that heart relationship with you to have that intimate one to one relationship with you not just to have the head knowledge but to, to truly know you and you might be sitting here this morning thinking well, I don't even know that I truly know God. I don't know that I have that heart connection with Him. Or you might even be sitting there saying, oh, it's the first time I've heard anything about having an intimate relationship with God. There's something in your heart stirring saying, I want that. I want that. That's what I want my life to be like. Letting go of my own ambitions and striving and just seeking to follow Him. And if that is you this morning, just while every head's bowed, if you throw your hand up, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I'd love just to pray with you and encourage you afterwards. If that's you this morning, just pop up your hand. Father, I do thank you for, for your presence in this place. I pray, Father, that each of us would go from here today realizing that you don't really want us to be fans 
although we do worship you for who you are, you're an almighty God, but that you want us to be true followers of you, true disciples of you who go out and share your love with a lost world. In Jesus' name.